Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we are amazed by our mother's love, help us to be even more amazed, to be moved, to be transformed, to be changed by your love through Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. Now, I'm assuming that you all have mothers. And the emotional response to the sacrificial love, the caring love, the encouraging love of our mothers, oh, that word amazement, wonder, being thankful, experiencing joy. But as amazing as our mother's love has been for us, it's but a faint echo of Jesus' love. And so I'm going to use two biblical thoughts to examine a mother's love and then see how Jesus loves us in that same, if not greater, way. So the first one, from the Gospel reading, Jesus says, oh, how I longed to gather you as a hen gathers its chicks under my wings. Now this is a famous illustration because we do know that whether it's chickens or grouse or some other animal, that if they see danger coming, they will gather their chicks under their wings. I recently heard a sermon where the pastor said, after a raging forest fire, some of the Forest Service workers were out trying to extinguish any lingering hot spots and he came upon this grouse, which was basically charcoal, burned to a crisp. And he took his walking pole, his hiking stick, and he touched the grouse and it disintegrated. And out came these chicks who had been saved by their mother's love. Now in the Bible, when it speaks of the shadow of God's wings, it's not only talking about this physical image of a hen and her chicks, but as you will notice, it's also speaking of the cherubim who were in the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant and they were facing each other, and over the Ark of the Covenant, their wings touched. And some of the references are obviously to that image. So let's look at some, and you've got your outline, and it, um, It talks about those three things, relationship and refuge and rescue. One of the Psalms, and you've got it mentioned there, and I 
Is it Psalm 67? Am I guessing right? The first one? Ah, see, I was only off by one number. (laughs) But David says, I long to dwell in your tent in the shadow of your wings. The tent is the tabernacle. And he's picturing the Holy of Holies and those angel cherubim with their wings. And if you're in the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could go in once a year, it's a place where God's forgiveness happened. It's a place of intimate relationship to know that God in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, wants you to experience the power of forgiveness. He wants you to have that kind of relationship with him. He doesn't just want a glancing or a not very close relationship. He wants to be intimately related to you to the degree that you can enter the Holy of Holies. Please remember that when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle was torn in two. Uh, The Jews said that was because of a shiroko, a desert wind. I don't know if they've been reading their Bibles. That curtain is four inches thick. You don't just blow on it and it tears apart. God is indicating that we now have access to his heart, to his love and forgiveness. The second psalm on your sheet speaks of refuge. And I'm going to have to reverse these. I noticed I did the second one first. So let's go back to the apple of God's eye. And uh, so do the Holy of Holies think of that as the refuge, okay? So you got relationship refuge. I goobered that. Should I start the sermon over? (laughs) Can you rewind the tape? (laughs) Uh, You know, that's an interesting expression. It doesn't occur very often in the Bible that I am the apple of God's eye. Literally, the translation is, I am the little person in God's eye. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you're staring at somebody intently and you look at the pupils of their eye, you can see your reflection. But they have to be staring intently. It has to be purposeful. And so it's a Hebrew idiom that came to mean we are exceedingly special to God. He wants us to realize he loves us as much as he loves his own dear son. Which is a lot. Because they have loved each other from eternity. Let's go to the final one which is rescue. And you notice the word help. You have been my help. I dwell in the shadow of your wings. 
God rescues us out of great love from those things that can ultimately harm us. I always think of that Hebrews chapter 2 passage, verse 14, where we are told that Jesus, because we're flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood, so that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, namely the devil, and free us who were held in lifelong slavery to the fear of death. That's a big rescue. It means death is no longer the terminus. Death is no longer the horrible enemy. Death is the gateway to eternal life, to continuing life with God. Now, the second biblical source is a little bit obscure for those of you who don't read Hebrew. You ready for your Hebrew lesson? You're going to love this. Almost every, if not every, Hebrew verb is three consonants. And then they'll, they'll insert vowels. There were not vowels in the original Hebrew. They just knew how to pronounce the word, just from experience. But after Jesus, they decided, you know, people don't know their Hebrew so well. We got to put vowels in here. So they have these little dots and these little lines beneath the consonants. It's a little bit weird. But the point is, every Hebrew verb is three letters, three consonants. The three letters here are R-H-M, Raham. And it's translated compassion, sometimes mercy, sometimes loving kindness. It sort of covers the bases. But what is so interesting about this verb is it comes from a noun, Rahim, R-H-M, same letters. That means a mother's womb. Now, I don't even have to preach this. I've told you this before. What that little Hebrew word is saying is that like a mother goes through pain and risks her life to give life, that's what God does with one interesting change. Jesus goes through great pain, and he doesn't risk his life. He gives his life to give us life. So you see the, the three words there. Uh, what, I, what I did years ago, um, you've probably suspected this. Uh, I've rewritten the Bible. <laughs> I don't change anything. I just organize it by themes. So I looked at the verses that have this verb in it, and I came up with those three words that you have there, forgiveness and face and foes. And the first one, what I want you to do, this is going to sound a little bit strange, but go back to the confession and absolution.
Okay. My pages are sticking together. So that's on page two. Uh, the first five verses are from David's famous penitential psalm. And look down to the third line where it says, Pastor, according to your abundant, what's the word? Raham. That's the Hebrew word. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. So one of the things that Jesus does through the pain, suffering, and death he experiences on the cross, he secures for us forgiveness. Now let's look at the next one, which is Psalm 69. And that's down, oh gosh, it's not quite two-thirds of the way. Uh, answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your loving kindness. In your great compassion, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. One of the fascinating things about the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, the face of God. Sometimes it's translated in English, the presence of God. You know, I have a, a new granddaughter, and this is going to be fun. Uh, they get to a certain age, and you can do some really amazing things just by changing your face. You smile, they smile. You frown, they frown. Okay, what did I do to Grandpa? You get grumpy, they get grumpy. They feed off of your face. They're looking to your face to see whether you accept them, value them, love them. It's an amazing thing. Do this with kids. It's, it's just... It's wonderful. And start with the grumpy face. And see what they do. It, they feed off of your face. Now, in your mind's eye, and we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that Jesus is the face of God. But where? I think it's talking about the cross that we are meant to go to the cross and look into his face and see, <clears throat> see the love and the compassion that is etched on his face. Every time I go and stand beneath the cross, I'm so amazed because I look up at Jesus and I say, why? And he says, because of you, Dan. And then he looks at me, and that's the face I see. It gives me life. He is suffering and dying to give me life, and I can see that in his face. It's not an angry face. It's not Jesus from the cross saying, 
Look what you did to me, Dan. What's wrong with you? His face is saying, Dan, look at what I'm doing for you. The final one is a little more difficult. It's the foe. And there's a verse that says, you have been my, my ransom. You have rescued my soul. Let's see if I can kind of get it. Uh, Lord, you have been my help. <clears throat> In the shadow of your wings, I will sing. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. The right hand in the Old Testament is God's power. Guess where Jesus is? Sitting at the right hand of God. That's not literal. It means that Jesus has power. The right hand of God is everywhere. Jesus is sitting right next to you right now. And he says, I have power. You know, the devil, the Hebrew word is Satan. And the Hebrew word means accuser. Who's going to defend me? Who's going to stand up for me when the devil comes at 2 o'clock in the morning and says, Dan, you're, you're messed up. You stand up there and preach, but if only people could see what's going on in your head. If only people really knew you. They wouldn't come to listen to any of your sermons. You have no right to preach. You have no right to share the word of God. You've blown it so many times I can't even count. And along comes Jesus and says, Satan, shut up. I suffered and died for this guy. He's my beloved child. And in the shadow of my wings, he will sing. And his soul will cling to me because I am his power. I want to end just with a, a story about my mom. Um, in our old farmhouse, we had a, a table in the kitchen next to the wood-burning stove. And I don't know what I was doing, but somehow one of mom's precious bowls that I was using fell on the floor and broke. Well, fortunate, she had her back turned so she didn't see what I had done. So I very sneakily, and I thought with great stealth, tucked that broken ball into my shirt. And then when the meal was over, I went back to our bedroom and we had a porch on, on each side and I took the bowl and I tossed it. 
And I went back in the house and my mom was smiling and she says, did you get rid of that bowl, Dan? <laughs> I don't know where her capacity for forgiveness came from. I can only say it came from Jesus. But for her to be so gracious, instead of saying, you broke my bowl, did you get rid of that yet? I had a sense with my mom that nothing I ever did, no matter how stupid, no matter how dangerous, she would always love me. She was always home base. And I have that same sense with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we see in the love of our mothers a faint echo of your overwhelming, overflowing love through Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen.